Well, it's been quite a week in America, hasn't it? I've interacted with so many of you throughout the week. I've heard from so many of you. A number of you wanted to reach out after Tuesday night's presidential debate. And I noticed a common theme in your responses. Normally in political moments like that, I sense the themes of anger or smugness. <laughs> but this week was different. A number of you reached out and gave me the common theme really just of sadness. No matter who you're planning to vote for, after Tuesday night, you were using words like weary and exhausted and sad. I heard that theme throughout the week from so many of you. And then on Friday evening, after I had received word, as we all had, that our president has COVID-19, I was having dinner with Nancy and Eva while Riley was at youth group. And I saw the news flash that the president had been transferred over to a hospital. And I just started picturing him there. You know, as a pastor, I've been in the hospital room a million times where there's a 70-something-year-old man in a hospital gown, alone and afraid but unable to show it. And I just couldn't stop picturing him there. And Nancy can tell you, when we got home from dinner, I was still thinking about it. And this overwhelming sense of sadness came over me, and I wept. She probably wondered what was wrong with me. I couldn't stop crying. I don't know why. It wasn't politically motivated at all. I was just feeling compassion and sadness. I find it very interesting that in God's sovereign plan, he has us reading a scripture passage today on this very week that so many of us are looking out over the landscape of our culture and we're feeling sad. How interesting is it that on that very same week, we would have this image of Jesus looking over Jerusalem, weeping. Did you notice that in verse 41? It said, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Jesus wept. Can you picture him there? Some of you have been to Israel with one of our church groups. You know the, the landscape of Jerusalem. There's many places where you can get a vantage point. And I almost just picture Jesus finding some rock to sit on and looking out over Jerusalem and weeping at what he saw. It's a striking image, isn't it? Our Savior looking out over his people weeping. And this morning, I want us to ask the question, why was he weeping? What, what did our Lord see when he, when he looked out over society, when he looked out over Jerusalem? What caused our Savior to weep? And when I read his beautiful prayer that he prayed there as he wept, I see three things in his prayer that moved him to weep. And I want us to look at those things this morning because I think it will help us understand a little bit 
what's going on in our culture, what's going on in our hearts, what's going on in our world, and when we ask the question, what caused Jesus to weep? What did he see? The first thing I see in his prayer is that Jesus wept because he saw a kingdom without a king. He saw a kingdom without a king. Early in the passage that Gina just read for us in verse 38, Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem riding a donkey. There's a small parade that's thrown for him. And what are his disciples declaring? They're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And a few people saw him for who he really was. But after that little parade, notice in verse 37, it says it's his disciples, his followers who had come with him from Galilee. They recognize him for who he is. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But after that little parade ends, Jesus now looks out over Jerusalem and he sees an entire city of people who missed it. They're just going about their business as if nothing had happened. There's Jerusalem having a normal, busy, active day. They missed the parade. They missed their coming king. And he actually tells us why they missed it in the prayer. Verse 41 again. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. There was something blinding the Jerusalemites from seeing their coming king. They couldn't see it. They missed it. Jesus wept because he saw a kingdom. Without a king, he saw everybody, as it says in scripture, going about their own way, becoming their own little kings and queens when the king of kings had entered their town. And there they went as if nothing had happened. It was hidden from their eyes. This should startle us a little bit because of what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Listen to these words in the New Testament. It says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The God of this world. That's a lowercase g. It's referring to Satan. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This should startle us, folks, because it's possible that the very same thing that blinded the eyes of the Jerusalemites from seeing the king of kings entering in on a donkey as he did, that very same force is still active in our world today. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, it says that the God of this world is blinding the minds of unbelievers from seeing the light of the gospel. Now, we might find some comfort in these words because it says the God of this world is blinding the minds of unbelievers. Thank God none of us on this lawn are the unbelievers. We're the ones who can see Jesus for who he really is. But actually, that leads me to the second thing that I think caused Jesus to weep over the city of Jerusalem. The first one being that he saw a kingdom without a king, but the second one being that he saw people who should have known better. But didn't. Jesus wasn't looking over Babylon. He wasn't looking over, where did Jonah go? Nineveh. All these unbelievers, thank you. 
He was looking over Jerusalem. The central um, architectural figure in the center of Jerusalem was the temple. Everyone's lives were shaped around the Torah and the temple and the comings and goings of religion. Jesus was looking down over uh, a city full of religious people. And they, of all people, should have known better. These aren't unbelievers. These are God-fearing Jews that he was weeping over because even they missed it. Listen to his words again in verse 41 and 42. When he drew near the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Jerusalem. Everybody living in Jerusalem would have known the prophecy in Zechariah 9, verse 9, that said the coming Messiah would enter into Jerusalem riding a donkey's colt, speaking peace over the nations. They knew chapter and verse of what it would look like, what it would be like when Messiah came, but even they missed it. Jesus weeps over people who should have known better but didn't. He looks at religious people and he says, even you? You're missing it. You're like a kingdom without a king. This really gets my attention, folks. Because it's easy for someone like me, a Christian pastor who's in the Bible all the time, it's easy for people like me to say, look out over culture. There's so much to weep over, isn't there? All those unbelievers, all those bad people, all those non-Christians. But I believe that Jesus looks out at folks like us too. And he says, sometimes even you miss it. And when you do, it breaks my heart. Jesus weeps. See, he knows that believers and unbelievers all have sin and all fall short of the glory of God and all are susceptible to the blindness that comes from the God of this world. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that leads to the third thing that I believe caused Jesus to weep that day as he looked out over Jerusalem. He saw the consequences of sin. He saw the natural consequences of sin. He describes it in the rest of his prayer. Now, we know from history that he's probably foretelling the destruction of Jerusalem that would come in 70 AD. But listen to what he says as he looks out and weeps over Jerusalem, a kingdom without a king, religious people even not seeing the coming king that came, people living in sin, people wanting to be their own kings and queens. And listen to what he says. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. And then watch what would happen, the natural consequences of a kingdom without a king. Verse 43, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Because you missed it, because you didn't accept the king of all kings, you didn't accept the Messiah when he came into your world, you ignored it, you missed it, you were confused about it, you'd rather go about your own way. Because of that, destruction will come upon you. That's the natural consequences of sin. 
Listen, I know this is a hard, dark message this morning, and it's two weeks in a row where I'm talking about the wages of sin, the, the natural consequences of sin, the destruction of sin. And I was talking about this with our team earlier this week as we were reviewing the sermon, and one of them said, oh boy, another week with the wages of sin? And I said, I said, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with the congregation. I'll stop preaching about sin when we all stop sinning. <laughs> deal? Okay. So here we are. Jesus looks out over Jerusalem. He sees the coming consequences of all of their sin. And here's a question that I have for us. I, I asked a question a moment ago, why was he weeping? And I pointed out these three answers to that question. But here's another question for us. What did he do about it? What did he do about it? When he looked out and he saw a kingdom without a king, when he saw even religious people not getting it when he saw the natural consequences of sin about to come down upon them. Not one stone would be left unturned. What did he do about it? He, here's what he could have done. He could have been like the prophet Jonah at the end of Jonah when he looked out over Nineveh. Jonah could have just complained to God, saying, God, could you get me a little shade? And why are you showing compassion and mercy on these people? Jonah was so self-absorbed. But what did Jesus do instead when he looked down over Jerusalem in all of his sadness and all of his weeping over them? He could have just condemned them. He, should, he could have said, they're going to get what they deserve. No, instead, he actually made the way for peace that they had missed. In his arrival and the triumphal entry, he went even further. He would prove his love and his compassion that his tears were not tears for himself. They were compassionate tears for the people that he saw before them. And he would make the way of peace by laying down his own life, by taking the eternal consequences of all of their sin upon himself by dying in their place on the cross. In Corinthians, it says this, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem, where he would be beaten and mocked and ultimately executed like a common criminal. Imagine that. The king of kings, the one who had ridden in on a donkey to fulfill Zechariah's prophecy, the one who had been sent from the throne of heaven, who came into Jerusalem and wept over it because they were a kingdom without a king who couldn't see him for who he was. And he allowed in his sovereignty and in his love and in his compassion to be murdered by them. And while they were killing him, even then he was saying, Father, Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. This is our Savior. This is the love and this is the compassion of our God. He would make the way for peace even though it cost his own life. He weeps over the world. And then he saves it. So what about us then? That was his response. What might our response be? So many of you mentioned this week that you were just sad. Some of you wept like I did uncontrollably on Friday night. We're sad. It's okay for us to weep as well. There's precedent in the scriptures of people weeping over their culture. In the Old Testament times, people used to do this interesting thing. They would tear their clothes 
when they were really overwhelmed with grief and sadness about what was going on in their culture, they would tear their clothes as a way of expressing to God, God, we're sad too about everything that's happening. And here's this amazing scripture in Joel chapter 2, and I, I think this is our response. This is instruction about how we might respond to a cultural moment like we are in, in light of what we know what happened on the cross. Listen to what it says in, in Joel. This is written on the front of your program if you want to follow it along. It says this, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me. Return to me. Return to me. With all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And hear this wonderful promise at the end. He relents over disaster. What is our response? We can weep, but don't show some kind of demonstration of your sadness if you're not also letting your heart be rended, letting your heart be torn, so that you can open your heart to the mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness and reconciliation of our Savior, the King of all kings. That heart work has to be done in us, even us, religious people like us, if we're going to play any role in this broken world in which we live. Because it's not getting any better out there. But it might if we let our hearts break for what breaks the heart of God so that when we stand up from our place of weeping and lamenting, we might be so filled with hope, we might know the way of peace that we might actually have a role to play in this broken society. You know what it says we are in the New Testament? We are ambassadors of reconciliation. We are repairers of the breach. We are wounded healers, like Jen's testimony earlier. That's us. That's our role to play. And we play this role in this broken world as ambassadors of reconciliation while we eagerly await the coming day when there is a new Jerusalem. A new Jerusalem where, where no one will miss the king. Every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. That new Jerusalem is coming. You know what the word Jerusalem means? Jerusalem, it's the city of peace. And we're all heading there. And until that day comes, we can weep, yes. But we can also stand up and play our role in this broken world, saying, we know who the king is. We didn't miss it this time. And we eagerly await his next arrival where we will all gather around his throne forever. 